Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie Weissman, the editor in chief of Modern Retail. This week, I'm really excited. We have Mike Messersmith, who's the president of North America at Oatly. And Oatly is a fascinating company. And a little weird side note is one of my earlier stories from a past uh, journalism job I had was about Oatly before it was the the big company it is today. It's a very ubiquitous company. But I'm really excited to talk talk with Mike just about. ACPG in general, but also milk alternatives. I'm fascinated with milk alternatives personally. And so I just want to sort of dive into what the last year has been like, what's going on and what's in the future. But Mike, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, my pleasure, Kel. Thanks so much. Excited to be here. Absolutely. So first, uh, I ask everyone this and like president of North America, that sounds like it's a, a pretty big job. But what what are your sort of top three or four things that you oversee when it comes to the Oatly business? Yeah, I mean, I've had the the good fortune and and just amazing journey of being with Oatly here in the U.S. since we launched, and so uh, it does sound like a very impressive. I mean, I don't know. I guess an, an impressive <laughs> title in your email signature <laughs> or your LinkedIn headline. I mean, it sounds like I don't know. That seems like a pretty big one, uh, but like. That has just grown and evolved through the different chapters of the company. I mean, in the very beginning, that title and leading the U.S. business meant uh, trying to figure out, you know, we need to get an office set up and making sure we have phones for people and uh, carrying oat milk and backpacks to coffee shops uh, in Brooklyn. Uh, and then now today, it means slightly different things of, uh, you know, overseeing different parts of everything from manufacturing and supply chain to, you know, commercial strategy to HR and legal topics and all that fun stuff. So it's it it makes the days never boring, um, for sure. Um, but it, it's been something that's really kind of evolved and grown step by step with the business every step of the way. Um, but be in charge of, you know, and, and help support the business, the team, the brand uh, here in our journey uh, in, in, in this market. Talk to me a little about your background, because you, you have a pretty vast marketing CPG background. Am I incorrect yeah. about that? Yeah, I mean, and so, I mean, even before I got into consumer packaged goods business, I spent um, the first chapter of my career as an officer in the United States Navy. So I was, uh, uh, that's how I paid for college uh, back in the day with an ROTC scholarship. I was one of those kids that wore my uniform around campus uh, a few days a week. Um, I was a nuclear uh, engineering officer on aircraft carriers in the Navy, uh, which, you know, that's a classic career path, obviously, is yeah. nuclear nuclear engineering to oat milk. Yep. You know, you've heard it once, you've heard it a thousand times. <laughs> um, but, you know, that, that job, honestly, like, you know, it seems so different and it feels like a really long time ago now. But, you know, being able to lead teams, solve problems, deliver results under, you know, short time frames. I mean, that was that was a lot of what we did when I was floating around on a, a, a boat, you know, off in the Persian Gulf. And then, you know, that transition. And, you know, when I was thinking about I knew I didn't really want to be a sea captain for a living. Um, I love that job. I love those people. I mean, it was a great chapter in my career. But then getting into consumer packaged goods, you know, marketing, sales, commercial roles, you know, it's a lot of the same thing. You're making decisions based upon information. You're trying to lead teams. You're trying to deliver results. And I love products that everybody uses. I am I am much more of a, um, you know, mass consumption brands person rather than I, I don't know that I have it in me to be able to do uh, luxury goods. I mean, some people are just so wired for that. They have it. Like I am much more like I want, I grew up in Northeast Pennsylvania, pretty small town. Like I want products that my parents go buy at the grocery store that they use in their day-to-day -day lives. Um, like that, that's always been appealing for me. 
And I've kind of navigated, and I can go into this more if you wish, but, you know, from large, big, big companies uh, to progressively smaller companies over the last uh, decade and just try to, you know, do a great job, treat people well and and deliver results and good things have happened. I'd love to hear more about that because you like just checking out, doing a quick glance of your background before you were at some huge companies before you we were at Frito-Lay and things like that. And what makes Oatly so fascinating to me is your initial marketing plan was such a very specific localized approach of just, as you said earlier, having a backpack filled with oat milk going to Brooklyn coffee shops. And I feel like those are like diametrically, not diametrically opposed, but a very different viewpoint by which you go about something. So just walk me through sort of how, like what made you, you've made a bunch of different jumps in terms of scope and even in terms of career. So how did you go about those? Totally. I mean, well, I mean, I would say first, like that job at Frida, which I took coming out of business school and again, five plus years as an officer in the Navy. When I was in business school, and hopefully this is something people can take some heart with because career navigation is hard. Trying to get started with career switching is super hard. I applied for probably 15, 20 different jobs, internships. I got rejected from all of them. Like nobody wanted to hire uh, this like Navy engineer guy to run, to be a, a CPG marketer. I had some very incredible people that believed in me at Frito down in Texas um, that gave me an opportunity to show what I could do. Um, and that was a great experience. I loved it there. Like w- such smart people, iconic brands, incredible resources. Um, the piece that I ultimately you know, felt like, okay, I'm ready to keep moving, you know, to, to different sorts of companies was, you know, you start to see the consumer preferences changing and the, the retail landscape shift where once you had, you know, structural advantages, whether it's direct store delivery or, you know, name, name iconic brands, but now people want local regional options. There's different go to market approaches and, and the inherent advantages that massive companies like PepsiCo, which they still enjoy today. I mean, that company is incredibly successful. Great, great smart people, but there's opportunity created, um, in the growth of alternate distribution mechanisms, um, you know, big trade shows like, you know, and growth of the natural specialty food channel. That was really appealing to me because I, I really like the idea of building and, and, you know, a lot of the job sometimes at larger companies is preserving or, you know, driving that, that, you know, the step on step growth. And I like building stuff from scratch and the messiness that comes with that. And so. I got an, from there an opportunity. I'm, I'm from the Northeast originally to move back to uh, New York and uh, work at great companies like Chobani um, with incredible people. That was that company still a rocket ship, but they um, were you know even a little bit earlier of navigating growth scale um, challenges with with organization and the business. Um, took a turn as a running a, a natural food or a protein bars and and powders business to just be able to get full. P&L experience, so I'd have credibility that I could be uh, trusted to kind of run a whole business. And, and then from there, landed at Oatly. So I think for me, like you see the consumer trends, you see the retail trends driving where I think the market is going. And that was appealing to me because I think that's opportunity. Those are interesting jobs. Um, and, and that's been kind of how I've tried to navigate my career over the last several years. Makes sense. So can you talk a little about, uh, you know, I, I've, I've, I guess I did the poor a poor introduction in that if people don't know what Oatly is, I, I feel like Oatly is very ubiquitous, but like we'll use this as sort of a, a chance to talk about a like exactly like 
how Oatly began. And also I talk about the initial, the initial marketing plan. Cause that's something I've always been super fascinated with what you I'm, I'm grateful that you feel like it is now ubiquitous. There was a time when no one outside <laughs> of my immediate family had ever heard of oat milk. Uh, I t- called my parents when I took this job and they're like, Oh, you work at an oatmeal company. Your father <laughs> will be so pleased. Uh, so the fact that now people that I don't know would know about this company, this brand is, is pretty remarkable to me, to be honest. It's, it's, it's an incredible testament to our team and what we've done. But yeah, Oatly, um, just you know, kind of quick 30-second elevator pitch on the idea for those that aren't familiar. We're a 25-plus-year-old Swedish company, um, was founded by a, a science and research team in Sweden, um, you know, seeking to create an alternative to cow's milk dairy um, that was both nutritionally balanced and did not excessively tax um, the Earth's environmental resources and how we made it. We chose oats because it's a, a available nutrient-rich crop um, that we could use and produce in a very efficient manner um, such that you know we were able to deliver something that was delicious. It had great macronutrient profile and um, it was uh, significantly less uh, contributor to carbon uh, and uh, greenhouse gas emissions relative to, to cow's milk and the dairy industry. And so that was the idea. I mean, we, we've been a small growth, uh, hyper growth company in, in, in the Nordics in Sweden. It's been about two years since I've been able to go to Sweden, 18 months or so with, with all the travel restrictions. But, you know, in the early days here, I mean, I was traveling over there quite a bit. We have an incredible team in Europe, an incredible team in, in Asia and China um, that have been building the business over there as well. Um, and we launched in the United States in uh, early 2017. So still, I mean, just a little bit more than four years ago, to be honest, um, uh, with a goal of trying to introduce oat milk uh, to the U.S. market. And at the time that we launched, um, and I could talk about what we can get into how we did that and, and what we assessed the market opportunity to be, but you know, it was a rounding error. The, the, the plant-based dairy alternative segment in retail and, and in Nielsen was a multi-billion dollar category. Oat milk was less than 0.1% of it. Um, and, you know, we took on that challenge of you have to launch a business, launch a brand, but also try to build a category. Um, and, and that was that factored into a lot of the thinking and the strategy that we put in place at the launch, which I think really we're still running that same play today. Any of the the, the hyper growth and the in the uh, results that we've been able to deliver, I think, are rooted in that thoughtfulness and the strategy we put in place early to try to introduce uh, the product and the idea uh, to to U.S. consumers. Got it. Out of curiosity, I I was doing a little bit of research, and this was a 2019 article, and it said that North America was the third biggest market in 2019. What what size is North America now? Yeah, I think so. I it, it's a little bit tough because I only have uh, I mean I have this great North America title. We are largely U.S. My North American enterprise is largely U.S. based. We have a little bit of can, Canadian yeah. business. We're starting some Latin America stuff. Um, Europe has several markets like the. UK, Germany, and Sweden. So I believe I am, I mean, we are the, uh, and our China team and our Asia team is doing such great, like hyper growth. The business and any business, any CPG business in China and Asia is just like different. Uh, it is like, you know, it, it is, it, they're still doing oat milk, but it is on a different level. Um, I believe we are the second, uh, one of the largest countries, but the second largest region, our European business, which again has been in place for over 20 years and has Nordics, UK, Germany, um, you know, Benelux uh, areas, like really established great markets for us is still our largest region. Got it. So I want to talk about, as you mentioned, you know, in 2017, probably 2016, you were 
assessing the market opportunity. And the way that you approached that uh, as from a marketing perspective was this really was that you you got you made a sort of prestige presence, I guess you could say, in coffee shops. And I felt like that was a very smart way to sort of get people to be like, what is this? This isn't soy milk. This is something different. And it became sort of a, a coveted and something that was more in the nomenclature in terms of a a new type of thing to add to, you know, your already expensive latte or something like that. And now it feels like you're at this new paradigm where you can get it at many, most grocery stores, and it's a much more ubiquitous item. And it's just uh, sort of, how do you approach that shift from making it, from making it be something like in the modern culture of, you know, I feel like people were talking about oat milk as if it was this sort of lavish new thing and everyone was getting an iced oat milk latte to something new that you can get in the dairy aisle. And how do you like, talk to, talk to me about that. Cause I think it's a fascinating and very quick yeah. shift. Yeah. There, I mean, there's a couple parts to that, right? Like when we were starting the journey, you know, again, we, the cat oat milk was a rounding error in the category and we want, I mean, I think the biggest question, anybody starting a, a new product, a new category, the thing we thought a lot about is how do we get anyone to try this product? Like we, we believe in it. Like we, we, like the, the product tastes great. I was sold on it from the first time I, I had it, but there are so many companies launching new items on retail shelves. And, and you think of all the different tools in your, uh, your marketing kind of toolbox to get people to try something coupons, you know, sampling, advertising. And, and we thought a lot about how do we get us consumers to even try this for the first time? We saw an opportunity in that, you know, our people that worked with us, for us, you know, very connected into the specialty coffee uh, universe and more and more people looking for plant-based options in their morning latte on their way to work, their Saturday morning routine. And yet the available market options, almond, soy, really kind of fell short of that whole milk, um, cow's milk, dairy experience from a taste profile, a mouthfeel, a foaming. And so there was an opportunity there to be able to uh, provide something that was a solution. We're not just trying to sell. We're trying to give a solution to those baristas, those coffee shop owners to be able to better deliver on their customer needs. And ele- I mean, they do so much work on sourcing the, the 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 coffee and the single origin beans and espresso and roasting and preparation only to kind of fall flat when someone wants almond milk and it's super thin and doesn't really deliver on the experience. And so we saw that opportunity um, to be able to help uh, deliver a better product. And in turn, that was a great way for people to try oat milk for the first time, as you alluded to, for, for someone to you know say the words at a coffee shop when you're standing in line, I would like a iced oat milk latte. And people behind them in line are like, wait, what was that? What did, what did that person say? So there's a lot of that, the trial, the quality trial experience coupled with just the value of someone kind of speaking those words into existence helps to build uh, the awareness and understanding of this new thing that exists, right? And then from there, like you said, we, we kind of built it Brick by brick, I mean, in those early days, like happens with a lot of businesses, you're really nervous about like, will this even work? Like, are we getting traction? Like, are there reorders? Like, how is this going? And then we started to really feel like it clicked and we're like, oh, wow, like, look at these, these orders are coming in. Like a lot of people are, are liking this. We're like, oh boy, now there's a lot of orders coming in. And, and since then, I mean, that was fall of 2017, you know, we've, you know, been chasing demand for when, when things really kind of caught 
um, on a cultural awareness standpoint, how do we make as much of this product as we possibly can? We're making more every single month, every single quarter, but scaling um, your operations and manufacturing at speed to be able to match that demand is is incredibly taxing on a young company. And so to ne- today, you know, while you know we got to the point and we said going into it that you know we're just going to do coffee shops until we feel like this works or we have to readjust the strategy. And then we started seeing in coffee shops here in New York and in Chicago and LA consumers coming into these coffee shops being like, where can I buy this? Like, can I buy that carton that you have right there in your hand, like for $5 or $8 or like, well, I guess we should bring it to grocery stores now. Like, let's make it more available. That was kind of our indication that we should bring it to, you know, Wegmans, Whole Foods, you know, uh, Bristol Farms, Target, et cetera. Um, and, And that's when we kind of started seeing that on-premise trial quality experience, and then people discover it, they talk about it, and then they want to buy a, a larger carton at the grocery store to bring home for their family, to pour into their coffee at home, pour in their cereal. And, and while we've come a really long way with that, we've added a ton of partners, we've add, gotten into different categories, honestly, we're still at the very early stages of that. So we have to almost sometimes fight against, I've been doing this for four and a half years, it feels to me like, oh, well, we're done with that part. But it's still very early stages of real, like, you know, broader populations hearing about oat milk, trying oat milk for the first time. I mean, our goal in this was not just to bring oat milk to uh, Brooklyn and Arts District in L.A. Like, that's cool. We want them to have it. But also, like, I want people ordering oat milk lattes, you know, where my parents grew up in, you know, where I grew up in northeast Pennsylvania, where my parents live. Like, and so that journey is ongoing. I mean, more than half of our consumers, uh, like 50, 60% of our consumers came into the brand even just in the last year. And so we feel like we're still at the early stages of that discovery trial conversion uh, cycle. And, and, but it's still just executing the same strategic playbook that we've done since the beginning. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. So you mentioned that you 60 percent of your new um, customers came in the last year. I know that in the like the pandemic, you saw sort of explosive growth. What do you think drove that? Was it just that people were were interested in trying new things? Was there was there a sort of a shift towards these kinds of alternatives? What what spurred that? Yeah, I mean, I think the past year and a half has been uh, great, but totally unexpected in a lot of ways too. I mean, sitting here uh, last almost in this exact spot last March, April, at the end of my dining room table, you know, looking at the fundamental shifts of, I mean, I, we built our business in on-premise specialty coffee shops. So many of those have gone through tremendous challenges uh, over the past year and a half with, you know, having to shut down, reopen, all those different restaurant and and coffee shop protocols that people have had to endure. And, and, and we saw last summer, you know, as people stop commuting, as people stop going to, you know, some of their, you know, those for a period, those restaurants and and coffee shops, the demand shifted entirely to grocery stores. And then we started to see it balance, balance back and really a huge demand surge uh, as we got into Q4 and Q1 of this year. So we're starting to see kind of a re-leveling. But in that, I think people have had lots of opportunities to um, evaluate uh, their food choices, what comes into their homes, uh, you know, the desire to live even more healthful lives. And I think that only um, uh, drives towards more careful consideration of the role of plant-based foods in your diet and your shopping cart. And, and so today, you know, we see, uh, you know, 
I, I do think that it's a balance of the effects of people evaluating their diet holistically from being at home for the past year and that causing some reevaluation. And then I also think that there's a natural progression as Oatly and other brands have really emphasized oat milk and oat-based products over the past 12 months, brought them to, uh, you know, we have, you know, large-scale retail partners. We have large-scale um, you know, nationwide coffee partners. You have oat, you know, frozen desserts and yogurts and all these other things. And so it takes time for that kind of cultural societal awareness to kind of saturate in. And that doesn't happen with just getting one account or one new listing or things like that. It takes time for that to kind of uh, kind of transform a little bit. And so I think it's the two of those that are leading towards this place where oat as a segment, you know, going from 0.1% in 2017 is now the fastest growing growth delivery segment in all plant-based milks. You know, we're approaching 20%, the number two crop segment, and Oatly, you know, continuing to, to drive that growth. And so, but it really is just still like the beginning of it, I think, for us. Mm-hmm. What percentage of your sales are retail compared to on-premises? Yeah, I mean, and that's been something that's shifted a lot over the past couple mm-hmm. of years. I mean, like, again, in the first year, I think we were like 90% plus on-premise coffee shops. And then if you look at last year, you know, this time last summer, you had a lot of coffee shops that were shut down. So maybe we were like 75, I, I think, again, not maybe to the exact decimal point, but I think we were roughly like 75% retail last year. But today, you know, we've seen such incredible, you know, through hard work, creativity, you know, determination, like those on-premise accounts, the food service, coffee shop accounts, today we're much more even balanced of 50-50. And I mean, that was an intention for Oatly from the beginning, um, which is somewhat, you know, if we were just a business that focused on grocery stores, we could always point to Nielsen results and all these other things. But we see the value and it was the intent from the beginning to, um, have a really balanced on-premise retail approach where we really see that interaction of someone having a great positive experience. And and that could honestly be in a coffee shop. That could be in a restaurant. It could be um, having a soft serve Oatly frozen dessert at a baseball game. All of that is on-premise quality experience that then when people go do their shopping, it changes their perceptions about what items they might put in their cart, whether it's, you know, carton of oat milk or oat-based yogurt or any of those other things. Mm -hmm. You mentioned how your focus now is, you know, you've, you've lured in the metropolitan consumer, the people in Brooklyn, the people in LA, or for the most part, and you're trying to get more of the, the everyday consumer to even know what oat milk is. When the pandemic first hit from a marketing standpoint, how did you approach that? Was that, did you change things? Did you try to look at new channels? Was there a new campaign that went out to be like, Hey, your entire life has been uprooted. Why don't you try this new thing? (laughs) No, I mean, honestly, I mean, uh, I think that's what a lot of companies would have done. I don't know that we <laughs> think about anything like that. Okay. Um, because, I mean, that feels, honestly, with, I mean, we do all of our creative work in-house. All of our art is hand-drawn, hand-designed, hand-lettered. All of our copywriting is done by an incredible group led by our, our, our global creative director, John Schoolcraft. Um, I can hear their voice when I read our packaging side panels, when I read our billboards. And I, I think that, you know, we, 
I wouldn't necessarily like in the middle of all the upheaval. I mean, we always just try to think about it incredibly personally, too, of in the middle of all that upheaval and how uncertain life was last summer, maybe still is today. I don't know that I would want to be advertised to being like, isn't life <laughs> terrible and crazy right now? Try some oat milk. Like, that's like not something that I would find personally particularly pl uh, pleasing. Um, and so we don't do that. Um, you know, honestly, it was just like, we didn't try to push like, I mean, we're, we're not, we, there's a, if you look at those, I mean, we were trying to continue to, you know, support our team, support our coffee community partners, make, you know, it, it's hard building factories in the middle of pandemics. It's hard keeping manufacturing employees safe in the middle of pandemics. Like while I, many of us are sitting at home, they're the ones going into the factory every day. That was really where our, our focus went. And, you know, we saw, you know, so we're not trying to capitalize or be opportunistic of that. We're, what we tried to do was be patient and see what opened in front of us and, and in that have the agility, which thankfully we absolutely still have as a small company, to adjust our tactics, our manufacturing strategy to meet those needs. So again, like we went from a, a balance and a plan that we had coming into next last year, which was much more balanced, you know, the way it is today between on-premise and, and retail. Then, you know, middle of March 20, uh, you know, 20. What is it? 2020? 2020. Uh, 2020, man. I, I, time is a flat circle. I've lost complete <laughs> track of time. Um, you know, we like, well, that's plan is not going to happen. So let's see how this goes. And within that, we were able to shift and work with, with, with our partners to be able to kind of keep the overall thing together and give more people oat milk where they wanted it and where they wanted to buy it without having to be pushy about it either. So it ha it wasn't really a strategy like that. It's, you know, we want to, I mean, we love our product. We, we believe it is an important, you know, part of the changing face of, of food and beverage, you know, to more uh, conscious consumption about the total impact of the choices you make. And we want to continue to make it more available. Oat milk can be for everybody. It's not just for a handful and a few. And so um, you know, that's been part of the journey that we just continue to walk, whether it's, you know, COVID or now or, or back at the beginning. Got it. Did you see a huge acceleration of, of retail outreach at the beginning, like or mid twenty twenty? Was that you know, given that there was this recalibration, were you hearing supermarkets say, "Please give us deliveries"? Yeah, I mean, it, and I mean, and we had. I mean, I think a lot of people in consumer packaged goods would certain categories saw a massive acceleration. Other categories, you know, have had a tough time because just the 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 you know, labor bandwidth within, you know, to be able to handle new items or, you know, a lot of, a lot of retail spaces, you know, uh, deferred, uh, you know, an innovation cycle or two to really focus on core store operations. You know, we, I think we were fortunate in that, you know, the, the, the dairy alternative milk segment, um, is, you know, it's a household staple item and, you know, lots and lots of people, you know, at home with kiddos at home and, you know, people working from home are looking for cartons of Oatly and almond milk and all this. And, and so within that, then, you know, we saw a lot of, yeah, I mean, certainly we've always seen a lot of interest in our brand and people wanting to carry it. We are always trying to be really as thoughtful as we can about being, you know, kind of disciplined growth um, with that of not, you know, 
scaling our operational footprint, especially with the uncertainty that we've had over the past year of just how is that going to go? Where are we going to encounter delays? You know, we do, we try our best to not um, break promises and commitments to people. And so at times we we've said no more than we've said yes on things. And, and that's a hard thing to do at the time, but is the right thing in the long run and just try to be as open and transparent on, on that as we can about, you know, we're, we're a four and a half year old oat milk company building multiple production facilities, scaling our organization. We're not a 50 plus year old dairy uh, industry brand here in the United States that has a lot of existing infrastructure. And so building that is, is a challenge. And, you know, we, uh, we take that super seriously. We're making great strides there. But, you know, even as you see that explosion of people wanting more, 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 we have to be thoughtful about what we say yes to. Otherwise, it ends up being a, a net lose for everybody um, because you under underperform relative to those expectations. Absolutely. All right. We're almost running out of time, but I have a couple more questions that I want to get out. And you you alluded to this, but I wanted to get more into this and we can use this as a transition to my final question. Uh, but talk to me about product expansion because you guys have been you know doing new products, new types of ways. You mentioned Oatgurt, I think you said, and there's ice cream. What is your overall philosophy with product expansion in general? Is it just so that you own the category? Is it customer acquisition and, and reeling in new people? Like how, how are you approaching it? And when do you decide you're going to go into this new type of product specifically when there are, I imagine, production constraints due to demand? That's a great question. I, and, you know, I think one of the, we have a tremendous benefit from having a team in Sweden that's been working on nothing but oats for close to 30 years. They're literally, you know, men and women that are oat wizards uh, over there, just like making, and, and we have a full assortment uh, of of products that are available in Sweden that we haven't even considered bringing to the United States yet. Um, there, there's two parts. It, it really isn't driven by like, can we dominate this category? That's not really how we think about those parts. It's much more, well, one, the original mission of, of the of like how are we better delivering on the mission of the company where giving people delicious you know uh, products that don't excessively tax the earth's resources if we can you know there is an argument to be made for why we should be entering into frozen to give people that have lactose uh, and and dairy uh, allergen allergies and sensitivities an alternative that also is um, more climate conscious right and and then furthermore like. I love those. I mean, I love those products most because they taste good, but also there's a really different emotional space for someone consuming oat milk in their morning coffee or their morning cereal, which is a daily routine. Like that's a tremendous amount of trust there. But when you're talking about like a pint of ice cream um, or frozen dessert, you know, as part of a birthday celebration or man, I've had a lousy, I mean, you've had a lot of lousy weeks and bad, tough days over the past year. You're like, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to watch you know, a basketball game, Real Housewives, whatever. And like, I want to have something that is a treat. When people are choosing a plant-based option there, not because they have to or they're forced to, but because they want to, because they think it tastes good. And they like they both get that like treat indulgence, but they also feel better about themselves because of the choice that they make. That's an even different sort of mindset moment for a brand like Oatly and others um, that are involved in it. I mean, one of the big initiatives we've done over the past year, and it was tough last summer, we were ready to do it, but then a lot of you know events and things didn't happen, was the launch of our soft serve uh, Oatly frozen dessert. And we've partnered with baseball teams like the Chicago Cubs, New York Yankees. And the same way as I imagine people discovering Oatly for the first time in their local coffee shop, 
you know, we recognize that like, we're not going to reach everybody with, with a, with a coffee. Right. And, but like, I grew up going to baseball games with my dad, like little sun, you know, those little helmet Sundays with the soft serve in it. And like the idea that you'd go to a ball game with your buddies or your kiddos and, and, and have a plant-based soft serve option. And everybody's like, wow, that didn't have dairy in it. Like that was incredible. That changes people's perceptions about plant-based foods in a way that really shifts behavior. And so the, we enter into those categories when we have great food and we have a thought process on, on how is that going to interact with people's lives in a way um, that will make them continue to evolve their thinking and their acceptance of plant-based foods that will help us grow in the long term. Yes, it's cool. And, and our, our goal is always to, you know, we want to sell a lot of product. We want to have good velocities. We want to have all those pieces. But the mindset is much more like, how does that advance the mission? Can we Are we delivering a great food experience that makes people reevaluate a lot of those choices and preconceptions they had about what plant-based or vegan-based foods are? Got it. And so lastly, with all of that, what are your sort of goals or expectations for the year to come? Is it just more retail partnerships doing other partnerships like MLB? What what, what, what do you see on the horizon yeah. in terms of what you're focusing on? I mean, it, it's the category continues to grow around us because boy, a lot of other people have jumped in. We think that's great. Like when there's, when there's companies that have been doing nothing but dairy for uh, 20, 50 years, and now they're all in on oat milk, like what a change. Uh, like that, that is a good thing for the planet. It accelerates the category. It creates more opportunity. And so for us, it really is continuing to just run the playbook of what we've done. We want to make and deliver more product to our existing customers. Um, we have other customers that we've been, you know, either we, we had to like cut back on or we have to, um, you know, reintroduce the product or add new partners. Like there is a wide landscape that is opening in front of us um, about acceptance and desire for plant-based foods from grocery stores to the entire food service spectrum um, that we feel like it's really just make and deliver product. And with that, there's tremendous growth opportunities and consumer um, uh, engagement to, to happen. And we just want to continue raising, you know, introducing the product to more and more people. Because, again, that's been the strategy that we've had since the beginning. It's worked out really well. Um, and, you know, we just want to continue uh, on the path that we've been on. All right. Mike, this has been such a great conversation. I learned a lot. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks so much. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and head to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review and a rating. See you next week. 